Thanks, Joe and uh, Judith and Nicola for leading us. Um, so wonderfully, as always, let's. Uh, hopefully, there's a there's fingerprints and smudge marks all over Matthew chapter five in your Bibles by this stage. Um, that's where we're where we're going. Um, we are this Sunday going to close out uh, the. Our thoughts on the Beatitudes, uh, specifically, there is loads more that uh, Jesus um, speaks up the mountain. And, uh, and so I feel like that's probably where we will stick. Love that you would be praying. That uh, feels like I've just, we've been so involved in this. I feel like I've just been so consumed by the Beatitudes. It's like, well, didn't even realize until during the week this is like this will wrap us up in the Beatitudes and like God what is it what is it that you've done in us what is it that you've maybe challenged us or convicted us or led us and so um, we just don't want to continue preaching some stuff just for the sake of it but we would love just to hear from the Lord a wee bit and uh, so appreciate your prayers and that but let me read Matthew 5 Matthew 5 verse 10 11 and 12 um, is uh, is the verses that we're going to read this morning and share some thoughts on. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, Falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Titan, isn't it, to be talking about persecution this morning? Um, but let's say, uh, I'd love to share a few things about what I think persecution is not. And uh, I'd love us to acknowledge that at the moment where we are facing, sometimes it's hard for us to fully maybe engage with this because what we see and what we're witnessing that's taking place across the world in terms of persecution is, doesn't even come close to what we're facing here. And Sometimes we can maybe bypass this uh, beatitude, but I think there's still something that Jesus wants to speak to us. In just a few moments, I just want to, I just want us to take a moment to acknowledge the persecuted church and the persecuted Christians around. But I just love to give a bit of an intro, and then I've asked Nigel to come and pray for the persecuted church this morning. I suppose as we go throughout uh, the next twenty twenty five minutes here, um, I want to I want to speak to this beatitude, but I also want to begin to summarize where we've been and, and maybe where we want to go. We've said it several times that the that what we've been looking at, what we've been um what I think Jesus was was saying was revealing to us a description of the kingdom life. He was describing the kingdom life. This is what it looks like. He was not telling us these this is a list of things that you need to do, but these are actually if you have committed to the kingdom way, this is a way of being as opposed to a way of, of doing. It's about being, not doing. It's a description of the kingdom life. It is then fully illustrated. 
as we follow on the gospel story, the Beatitudes are fully illustrated in the life of Jesus, in the life that he lived, and then also the life that he expects us to then imitate. Those of us that are following him, this is an illustration, this is a description of the life that he expects us to imitate. And, and what I think has been a bit of a thread throughout, um, throughout each week, I don't know if you've picked it up, uh, but I was just thinking about it this morning. I think one of the threads that has been throughout this whole uh, series has been trying to challenge, uh, trying to challenge um, the way that we see other people. We need to change it. We need to we need to change how we see others, and I think Jesus was speaking to that. See where we went to at the very beginning. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are you when you acknowledge that you're broken. Blessed are you whenever you've finally realized you are in great need. Blessed are you. And so I think, for me anyway, if I see, if I see and experience and know that God blesses me at the bottom in my failure, it changes if I let it. It changes if I let it how then I see and how I interact with everyone else. When I see how he is with me and for me in, at the very bottom in my failure and in my mess, if I let it, it will change how I see and interact with everyone else. feels like that's been a thread that, that I have been challenged by. So he meets me in my lack. He meets me in my poverty. He meets me when I'm mourning. He meets me when I'm hungering and thirsting. He meets me in my pain and in my wrestling in my doubt, to quote Ren Collective, in my wrestling and in my doubt, and in, in the moments that I keep messing it up, he blesses me. And he's there and he is for me. And so whenever I acknowledge that, whenever I see that, whenever I become fully aware of that, it changes me. Ultimately, it changes me whenever I, whenever I recognize that and experience that and take hold of that. But it also, in those moments that I keep messing up, it also helps me to see others who are in the middle of their own mess, their own brokenness, their own wrestling, their own hurting. So it changes me and it changes how I see and interact. Blessed are we when we acknowledge that. And so, so much of what we've been talking about just in this introduction throughout the last number of weeks, it's, uh, it's fertile ground. This is fertile ground for peacemaking. We talked about that two weeks ago. It becomes fertile ground for peacemaking. See, living as peacemakers, where we were two weeks ago, li living this kind of, the, the kind of life that we spoke about, um, as we looked at blessed are the peacemakers, that kind of life can easily lead to persecution. Because this is the truth, and you will know it. Each one of you will know it in different ways, whether it's politically, whether it is socially, economically, over social justice issues, over doctrines, whatever it is. We are the world, the world, the ways of the world wants us to pick a side. They demand that we pick a side whatever it is, whatever the issue is. 
whatever the arena is, the world wants for us to pick a side and it's not going to go down well when we don't. It's not going to go down well when we don't pick a side and you want to see everyone flourish. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. We talked about how uh, the prophet Jeremiah spoke this incredible word to the, to the church, to the people of God that were in exile. And the people that had put them in exile, the people that had, captive, that had held them captive, that were in, in, in effect their enemy, the prophet says, pray for them. Because as they flourish, then that's when you will find that you too will flourish. And so we spoke about this idea of mutual flourishing, and that does not go down well in the ways of the world, because the ways of the world want to know your label. They want to know what side that you're on. And so when we don't pick a side, it does not go well, because we want to see everyone flourish. I don't always. The goal what we are what we're striving for is to see everyone flourish so we need to keep remembering if we've we've talked about this several times i think we are kingdom ambassadors we represent an alternative kingdom we represent on a different way we've used it several times this third way that's what we've been exploring here that's the questions that we've been asking i haven't come up with all the answers we're still we're still wanting to Ask the question. We're still wanting you all to engage in the question. What does the third way look like as kingdom ambassadors representing a different alternative kingdom? I want to draw your attention for a few moments again just to encourage you that you would go and check out the work of an organization called Preemptive Love. Uh, Preemptive Love. They are building the most largest, the, their, their goal, their vision is to build the largest, most diverse a community of peacemakers on the planet. A pretty cool vision. And they, are, they say that in all of their working in different parts of the world, they see how fear leads to violence and violence leads to war. And for them, preemptive love, their goal is to unmake violence. And so they're working in Iraq, they're working in Syria, they're working in Israel and Palestine and North America, they're working in Venezuela, they're working in Cambodia, um, doing incredible, incredible work. They were there. They're, they know what it is to be persecuted. They were there right in the heart of bringing blessing and right, seeking mutual flourishing, making peace in Iraq when ISIS came a number of years ago. And so they say that, that they want to help fast. They want to stop the spread of war. They say that they want to help that lasts. So they're trying to reduce the risk of war. They're building homes. They're offering shelter. They're doing lots of that incredible humanitarian stuff, and they're trying to heal the past. And so they're reaching across enemy lines. And I love this, what they said. We don't have to see the world the same way in order to value each other. I think that is a good word. They're living this life making peace, being persecuted for it in different difficult parts of the world. But they are adamant that we don't, even when we don't see the world the same way, it doesn't stop how we value each other. And so just really quickly, I would, I would love to point out, and we will we'll put this in email, we'll put it in the WhatsApp group, but next Sunday evening, I didn't realize this until this morning, but next Sunday evening is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. 
where Release International, Open Doors International, all of these incredible organizations that are working with the persecuted church across the world are pulling their forces together online to, 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 to lead the church, to lead followers of Jesus in prayer for the persecuted church. And so it's next Sunday, those that have a good memory that won't need a WhatsApp to remind them, next Sunday from half seven to half eight uh, is this call to prayer, and it's going to be online. In the last year, 260 million Christians living are, have, are living in places where they experience high levels of persecution. In the last year, 2,983 Christians have been killed for their faith. 9,488 churches in the last year have been attacked. 3,711 um, believers in the last year have been detained without trial, uh, have been arrested or sentenced. These, are, these numbers are frightening. And so for just for a moment, I'd love us. There's more stuff that I want to say, but just for a moment, I'd love just to pause and acknowledge that there's the five top places we could spend more time, but there's places, the most difficult place to be a follower of Jesus today is in North Korea. Second most difficult is in Afghanistan and then Somalia, then in Libya and then Pakistan. And so by way of acknowledging that, like this, this should grip us, followers of Jesus. When part of the body hurts, we all hurt. When they suffer, we all suffer. And so for a moment, I would love us, as the family of God, just to pause, acknowledge, and Nigel is going to lead us in a prayer for that. Thanks, Nigel. Let us pray. Sovereign God, we worship you, and we acknowledge that you know all of those who suffer in your name. We remember those who are imprisoned for their faith and ask that you would join with the Apostle Paul to see that they would, sorry, join with the Apostle Paul to see that even though they remain captive, their chains have furthered the gospel, not frustrated it. May they inspire and embolden their fellow believers to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. God of all comfort, for those who are tortured, both in body and mind, give them the grace to endure and to see their suffering as part of following in Christ's footsteps. Merciful God, for those asked to pay the ultimate price who are martyred because of their love for you, may they truly know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Father God, for those who are widowed and orphaned, may they know the comfort that comes from your promised presence, even when they walk through the valley. May they be strengthened by your spirit, enabling them to rejoice with the psalmist as they proclaim that the Lord will not abandon them in death. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would make us ever mindful of our brothers and sisters around the world who need us to stand with them 
as they suffer in your name. Teach us what it means to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. We pray that we would not love our lives so much as to shrink from death. O Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. Thanks, Nigel. So we'd love you to remember this next Sunday. Um, let me just read a wee bit from this guy, Jeremy. Jeremy Courtney, who, who started up this preemptive love ministry. He was asked the question, why do you do what you do? This is what he said. Really, at the base of it is the core conviction that the love of God, as we understand it, and tell the story and believe it as it's told in the life of Jesus, is to me one of the most beautiful and profound and hopeful and scary and subversive and transformative ways that I could ever imagine living. Honestly, there are times that are incredibly difficult and I want to give up. And it's hard to believe, but even in those days, I still want to be part of it. I still want to live that way. I still want to hang all my hopes on it. And I still want to live out of that belief that there is a love big enough to make all things new. And so as I get older and go through various seasons of maturing and questioning, I still just hang really closely to the Jesus way and the Jesus vision and the promises that God is really about more than salvation as I knew it growing up, more than just a private personal salvation. That God really is in the business of, recon of this reconciliation of all things. And so then, if it's true, and if it's possible, then maybe it even has to include our enemies. It's got to include the bad guys, and it has to implicate myself. And it reminds me that actually I'm not just the good guy and they're the bad guys. Somehow, we all have to be brought back into relationship. And then he was asked a question about persecution and what that looks like to him. And this is what he answered. There's a risk with this conversation. It's like walking on a razor's edge. There's a, way to, there's a way to talking about persecution that sort of gives us permission to become irreverent and jerks when we don't get our own way. Not winsome or loving or creative or culturally engaged. And if we get pushed back, we say, see, they are persecuting us. Look at them. Look at what, we've done, what they have done wrong. When the truth is that we're not loving. And we're not reaching out. And so I quote some of that to, to say, I find, well, just for, for a start, I just find it incredibly challenging, incredibly moving. But I also think it's worth saying as we reflect on what persecution is looking like for our brothers and sisters in parts of the world, I think we need to be very careful of how we use the word persecution. And if you're on social media or, or whatever, I think you'll see sometimes how people use the idea of being persecuted is, um, it's just, I feel very uncomfortable with it. So when a celebrity worship leader is, who is leading at worship for thousands of people in a, in, a, in, a, in a tight setting with no masks, selling his own personal merchandise and being asked to stop, that is not persecution. And I want to say that like as boldly as I can, that is not persecution. And I think it's important to be aware of what uh, 
persecution is not. And maybe, and, I, and so I'm thinking this through. I said to Neville last night, this is what I'm, I'm thinking through because sometimes we can be very quick to, to announce that we are being persecuted when uh, we maybe we stand on the street corners and preach hellfire and brimstone. And so I'm not here necessarily to critique that. But sometimes when we're asked to stop that, when we're asked to stop judging the sins of the world, we can easily come away from that saying we're being persecuted. We're being persecuted because we're stopped preaching sin and hell to the world that is walking past. And I just am not sure if we can say that that's persecution. And, and this is some of what I'm wrestling with. Following, following Jesus puts love at the center of everything. Of everything we do, following Jesus puts love at the center of everything that we do. And some people argue, they do argue, and I'm not saying that they're wrong. Just wanted to throw this out. Some have argued that persecution uh, arises because the church stands against sin. But what I just find very interesting as I read, continue to read through the Sermon on the Mount is that I'm not sure if that can be the case because that, that type of thinking only occurs when the church judges the sins of others and something that Jesus told us to avoid. Jesus told us to avoid that way of judgment. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, it is none of your business, this is my paraphrase, it's none of your business to judge the sins of the world. You worry about the church. You worry about what's going on inside. 1 Corinthians 5.12. It's not your job. It's not your business. And so Jesus, Jesus is, has told us, like that, avoid that. Avoid judging the sins of the world. And so if we say that we're, we're being persecuted because we've done that, I'm not sure if it is the right way to use the word persecution. It's a way that Jesus told us to avoid. Jesus puts love, following Jesus puts love at the center of everything that we do. And so whenever we get an insight into what our brothers and sisters across the world are facing, sometimes we think, well, what does this beatitude mean for us? What does this beatitude, what, what have we got to to, to wrestle with as we see the description of kingdom life that Jesus is laying out here. And I think he's still speaking to us because the verse goes on as the verse 11 reminds us, blessed are you when people, whenever people speak, they love you, when they say all kinds of false evils against you, rejoice and be glad. And so maybe we'll not face the same persecution that we've prayed about today, but for those of us that are following this Jesus way, you will be misunderstood. When you decide not to pick a side, when you decide to try and follow the third way and almost become an enemy of everyone, you'll be misunderstood, you'll be spoken ill of. And so I think that's the challenge for us today. The challenge for us the whole way through this series and the whole way through following Jesus is that he calls us to love just like he loves. We are to love in a way that the world cannot love. We are to love in a way that the world just cannot do it. The way of Jesus, 
The way that Jesus is calling us to, inviting us to follow, is a way of love that the world cannot follow. And so if we live the way of Jesus out, we're going to stand. We're going to stand out in the midst of this us versus them polarized times and polarized days that we're living in. We will commit ourselves to love like he loves, to love in a way that the world cannot do. It's going to cause us to stand out. And so when we stand out in these polarized days, not picking a side, it potentially makes us the enemy of everyone. As we hold this, I don't know if it's the right language, but as we hold this middle ground, as we pursue the kingdom, as we pursue this third way, and I want us to continue to think of Jesus, because Jesus was persecuted because he did not fit in with the narratives of his day. And so he had the us versus them. He had the polarized, the, the times were equally as polarized. The day that Jesus was living in were times of deep polarization. On one side, you had religion. On the other side, you had the, the way of empire. And Jesus didn't fit into the narratives of either side. He came with a different way. He came with an alternative way of living, an alternative way of love. He didn't fit in with the narrative of religion or of empire. He did not conform to their rules of who did or did not deserve love. And so he stood out. He stood out and he was persecuted and both sides cancelled him. To use current lingo, he was cancelled by both sides. Religion cancelled him and empire cancelled him. And what we have to wrestle with, what we have to come to terms with is, with is that the love of Jesus includes all so there is no them. There is no them. The love of Jesus includes all. It's indiscriminate. It includes all. And so when it includes all, there is no them. And this, for Jesus, resulted in him being persecuted. This resulted in Jesus' life being taken from him. And he, he, goes, he tells us, rejoice. <laughs> This is the way that you're going to love. If this is the consequences of loving in such a way, rejoice. Are you serious, Jesus? Rejoice. Yeah, rejoice because it's a signpost that you are going in the right direction. It's a signpost that you are on the kingdom path. The signpost that you're pursuing this alternative kingdom way of living. Rejoice because of that. Rejoice because you've been following all of these signposts that we've been talking about for the last number of weeks. Rejoice in that. And so for as Jesus as a Jew, the expectation would be that he would despise the Samaritans. He would despise the, the Gentiles. He would despise the Romans. But he, he didn't live that way. The expectation was that you, you, would, you would defeat, whether physically or verbally, you would win the argument. You would win the battle. You don't, you don't uh, reason with, you defeat. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't despise, he doesn't defeat. Because he refused to not love them. Whether there were Samaritans, Gentiles, Romans. He refused to not love them. And so he was called a traitor. And he was crucified. 
He refused to not love the tax collector and the prostitute and the sinner. He hung out with them. He ate with them. He fellowshiped with them. He befriended them. And refusing to not love them, he refused to do anything apart from love. And it meant that he was silenced. And it meant that he was persecuted. Ultimately cost him his life. And so as we, as we reflect on the way of Jesus, we reflect on the call or the description of the kingdom way of life that we've been looking at. He anticipates those of his, that are following him. He anticipates his followers that are following and implementing this same indiscriminate love would be persecuted or slandered for the very same reason. Mother Teresa, I'll finish here now. Mother Teresa lived this way of life beautifully, indiscriminate in how she loved. And it meant she became an enemy to many. She was following this alternative path. She was following the way of Jesus. And she said this, I find this so interesting. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you, God, you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. So as we wrap this up, I think there's, there's stuff there, and I hope if you're here in my heart, like I feel like I'm presenting more questions and stuff for us to wrestle through than necessarily providing any answers. I want to provoke some thoughts of what it truly is to follow the way of Jesus, the path that he laid out for us to follow. It is a difficult path. The path of reconciliation is difficult. The path of making peace is difficult. The path of, of not picking a side and following an alternative way, it's really hard. That's why he told us to lay down our lives. It was going to cost, it was going to cost us. He didn't, hide, he didn't hide that from us. He let us know pretty clearly that you're, it's, you're in this world you're going to have trouble. It's going to be difficult, but take heart. Take heart, heart I've overcome. I've laid the path for you to follow. And so as we come to the end of this, I love how Dietrich Bonhoeffer summarizes some of, the, some of what we've been thinking. Here at the, end, at the end of the Beatitudes is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in The Cost of Discipleship. Here at the end of the Beatitudes, the question arises as to where in this world such a faith community actually finds a place. It's at the cross. The faith community of the blessed is the community of the crucified. With him, they lost everything. And with him, they find everything. It's at the cross. And so as I was reflecting last night 
like how do we measure? I think how we measure success or how we measure Christianity or spirituality can be often a bit skewed. I find myself asking this question, like as we come to the end of the Beatitudes, how do we measure where we are at? How do we measure spirituality? How do we measure Christianity? And I hope we've heard, and I hope as we've tried to be as Jesus-centered in this place as possible, I hope that one thing is clear, that Jesus measures everything by the standard of love. Loving God, loving self, and loving others. And so he sees this standard of love. He sees this in the humble poor. He sees it in those who work for righteousness and justice. He sees it in those who are creating reconciliation. And what challenged me, and I'll finish with this, is that his standards like, feel like they are at odds with ours. Maybe you're not like this, but sometimes I think I've bought into the idea that this, the measurement of success is in how, whether you've read the Bible every day this week or not, or whether you've said your prayers this week or not, whether you've tithed or not, whether you've evangelized or not, whether you've exercised your gifts today or amongst family or how you've exercised the disciplines. There are standards that we measure success, that we measure spirituality. And please hear me, they're all really good things. To walk away from here, stop and doing all of those really important things. But I just wonder, as we've talked about these Beatitudes, are our standards and the standards of Jesus at odds sometimes? Our standards can be often by what we see. And maybe that's why it's easier. Like, it's so much easier to measure stuff by what we can see. But the way of Jesus is uh, the inner qualities of what he is developing in people that are committed to this kingdom way of life. So that's what I'm asking myself. Personally, I'm asking myself, am I, what, what am I measuring? Am I measuring by what, I can, by what others can see? Or about what about the inner qualities that Jesus is teaching and ultimately that he can see? And so there's much here for us, I think, to consider and, and for us to continue to wrestle through with. And I, honestly, I hope if there's, if there's stuff that, you've, that you want to push back on, that, like, do that, please, let's do that. Insights that you've had as we've journeyed with this, like, let's... Let that be part of the conversation that we work out together. Because as we said at the very beginning, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Like this was to a community of people to work out. It wasn't just a, a personal individual message to individual Christians. This was for us all to work out. The people, the community of the crucified, as Bonhoeffer said. With him, they, we lose everything. And with him we find everything. So Father, I pray that um, that whatever conclusions we're coming to, whatever we're thinking, God, I pray that God, that if there's something if this that is just my opinion or my thoughts, God, I pray that more than anything that we would just hear Jesus, that we would see Jesus. God, that we live in such a way as part of this uh, faith community longing to make much of Jesus. 
and recognizing that we need to sharpen one another, recognizing that we need to have uh, conversations and, and um, maybe robust conversations, whatever it takes, God. Whatever it takes to be following and pursuing the Jesus way with all that we've got for as long as we've got. And so, Father, I'm so grateful for each person that is in this room and watching on this morning. I pray that we would be encouraged and challenged. I pray that we would be ones that are able to rejoice because we've seen signposts that we're on the right track. God, I pray that you'd remove any sense of condemnation or shame that is not of you. But I pray that you would help us to, to find the signposts that will bring us back to this kingdom way of living. Thank you that you've laid that out for us. And so we fix our eyes on you once again. We pray that throughout this week we'd find ourselves in the secret place, in the quiet place, that we would know you more, that we would know your ways more. And so bless us as we leave today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you all. Thank you for being part of church today. Pray enjoy the rest of your day and your week. If you're able to give, please feel free to do that. Um, yeah, and there's going to be stuff going on over the next couple of weeks that we'll fill you in on. Uh, if we don't have your email address, please give it to us. If we don't have your number for WhatsApp, please let us know so that you can be kept uh, aware of everything that we're trying to do here to bless our community. We love God and others well. Thank you.